big black bug, bit of big black bear, and the big black bear bled blood. To sit in solemn silence on a dull dark dock in a pestilential prison with a lifelong lock, awaiting the sensation of a short sharp shock from a cheap and chippy chopper on a big black block. Whether the weather be hot, or whether the weather be cold, we'll weather the weather, whatever the weather, whether we're young or we're old. Oh. Okay, are you ready to do this episode, Tim? Oh, are we recording? Oops. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, I was doing my tongue twisters, you know, uh, uh, practicing my uh, eloquence for our podcast this afternoon. Okay. <laughs> so, welcome back, everybody. Hi, Tim. How are you doing, Ashley? Welcome back to Breaking the Fourth Wall. Where we engage in stimulating conversations about ways we can promote positive change in musical theater. Welcome back, everyone. Thanks for joining us this week. If you have not done so yet, please take a moment to snap a picture and share it on social media because our goal every single week is to reach a larger audience so we can change the conversation in musical theater. Tim. Yes. What puzzler do you have for us this week? All right. So, what actress most recently played the role of Hildy? in the most recent production of On the Town on Broadway. The most recent revival. Revival. I know this answer because we've talked about her a few times. Yes, we have because she is so incredible (laughs) that we have to keep bringing her up. But we will discover that answer together at the end of this episode. So what's in the news? A few things I wanted to mention. First off, there is another surprise. Surprise. Dun, dun, dun. Musical that is being turned into a movie. Oh my gosh. It's happening. It's Another shocking. one. So 13, the musical, uh-huh. a musical written by Jason Robert Brown was on Broadway in 2008. Day after day after day after day, uh, yeah. a little more homework to do. Okay. That was my uh, was tribute to great. Ariana Grande, who starred in the original <laughs> right. production of 13 on Broadway. Hats right. off to you, Ariana. Awesome. So it's about a a musical with literally 13 teenagers Mm -hmm. in the cast and the band. And it's going to have a movie musical creation with Netflix. That sounds like such a fun rehearsal process. I'm sure it is going to be. 13 students (laughs) in the band. And 13 students in, I don't know. Students, you mean teenagers. I mean teenagers, sorry. Younger teenagers. (laughs) Also, I just wanted to mention that the unsinkable Molly Brown has had a recent opening off Broadway. It has been in rehearsals for like years at the Muni and Chicago and many out of town tryouts. Denver. And uh, the amazing Beth Malone is starring in this musical. And of course, the amazing director. Kathleen Marshall. At the helm, which is such an exciting thing to see. A musical about a strong female, starring a strong female, and then being directed by a strong female as well. Yay! And for those of you that are going to be going to see this production, that are going to be expecting the original OG production of the Broadway, it is not that. Uh, They are keeping some of the skeletons of the show intact, but you're going to be experiencing a very different kind of version of Unsinkable Molly Brown. So I am really excited because I think this again, follows the trend where we're seeing with these revival productions are taking these whole new conceptual spins on traditional shows. Yes. And we won't be able to catch it, unfortunately, but I am really hoping that they announce that this is going to go to the Broadway and transfer. Mm -hmm. I really do. I know she's been working for a long time on this, both of them and Kathleen. And I just wanted to mention it and throw it out there. Also, Hamilton, the musical, we have known this for some time now that it has had a movie musical recording Mm -hmm. as well. 
And then anything else you wanted to add to that you discovered this past week, Tim? Well, yeah, in the news, I think uh, it's the big talk right now all over the Broadway community is the fact that Disney has purchased the rights to Hamilton for $75 million. Ah, chump change. Yeah, you know. But I mean, I got to give it to Lin-Manuel. He's been creating some amazing art in these last couple last couple of years, both with the Fosse Verdon television series, produced that, and then, you know, obviously Hamilton and Moana and everything else he's done. So congratulations, Lin-Manuel. And we look forward to seeing Hamilton in bigger arenas like the cinema something i did want to mention there was an article that came out february 6th there is a a podcast which i would definitely recommend everybody checking out it's Mm -hmm. called the ensemblist and it's really great um i listen to it almost every single week as well Mm -hmm. and it is is really dedicated to the ensemble of of broadway off broadway casts the unsung heroes of a broadway musical absolutely and there was an article that came out that really struck me and and really leads me into what i wanted us to talk about this week today Mm -hmm. this article is titled especially the dancers and it's written by betsy struckness i hope i'm saying her last name correctly s-t-r-u-x-n-e-s-s okay and I wanted to give a little bit of a quote, just a brief quote from this article that she wrote regarding Hamilton. She was in the original production in the ensemble. And she goes through and says, quote, recently it was announced that Hamilton would be releasing a filmed version of the stage production of the original Broadway company. But as one of its original company members who left who was left who left before the filming, I cry foul. My problem, however, isn't that I'm not in the film. My problem is with the wording of it being promoted as original, end Mm, quote. mm -hmm. And she goes on to talk about how where we are in our political, our sociopolitical conversations with, you know, Me Too and um, uh, Black Lives Matter and Time's Up and the LGBT community standing up, Mm -hmm. that she feels very strongly that we need to change the conversation. So she goes on to saying this, quote, I'm speaking up and saying this now because I want it to be better so Mm. that Broadway will maybe start to come together as an entire whole community instead of eating each other for breakfast so that Broadway can be truthfully shiny and golden. We all know the phrase, it's not personal, it's business or (laughs) that's show business or that's the job. Mm -hmm. To that, I say you're lazy. It takes work to change anything, whether it be a mind or an industry. My entire life has been dedicated to dance, and a lot of it has also been dedicated, truly dedicated to Broadway. It's hard to maintain a career on Broadway, and quote, success isn't necessarily synonymous with fun, happiness, or respect. I don't believe for a second that it should remain that way, and that is what I'm hoping to achieve here. I hope future generations of Broadway dreamers and Broadway performers will begin to value themselves differently and stand up for that value and their contributions. I hope that the generation coming up after me, the generation leading the conversation on gun reform, climate change, and human rights will do the same for theater. End quote. Wow. Very powerful and very eloquent. Yes. And well put. That's where I really want to go today. Mm -hmm. I want to talk about assumptions assumptions on all of us in this industry and there are a few key points that i know we want to hit on so my first question is why is there an assumption how do we get to this point of assuming we are of a certain type Mm -hmm. based on our physical attributes the evolution you look at the evolution of musical theater it's been predominantly told through a very specific lens right and there was a I, i believe as a musical theater historian that in the earliest days of musical theater, 
there were type was very much a part of the conversation. And we had this conversation talked about this, last right? week, I believe. Yeah, um, I do think it's important that we acknowledge the fact that while we're fighting for change, we have to understand where we came. Sure. And absolutely. People's ideal uh, ideal of beauty and their idea of look on stage and how things should appear on stage was very, very, very narrow. Absolutely. In the earliest days of musical theater. And I think that tradition has subconsciously been ingrained into people's DNAs, both in the audience and from casting perspectives. And through time, it has slowly become, had become a part of the culture through the 40s and through the 50s and into the 60s and 70s. And I think it's only recently that we're starting to see any kind of positive change occurring. But I really believe that uh, our it's in our DNA. No, no, I, sorry, I don't want to say that. Because you've got to be carefully taught, as we You're all know. You're right. It's it not is, DNA, it's how we It's how we're informed. informed. It is a passed on lineage from mentor to mentor to mentor or, or director or casting person to a next generation saying you can only be these roles because you look a certain way mm-hmm. and i think now is the time to start changing the dialogue yes. I, I i understand where we have come i understand and i understand that there are still many many people in casting positions both on broadway and regionally that still work under these assumptions. Sure, I was See, I reading a couple. Yes, I was reading a couple of Facebook posts recently where people are like, "I was behind a table and I heard the casting director say to someone, oh, I can't cast that that male in the role.'" And they were like, "Why? Because he's not pretty. He's not attractive, and he I can't have right. that on my stage." And that happens all the time. And still we, now. we've talked about this in previous episodes, and I know it's something that's kind of we keep coming back to, but it's such an important topic to have discussion to have. But to confound those assumptions that have existed and preceded us for the last hundred some odd years, we have to now as a, as a new generation of young creative people and young artists start having a dialogue about how to change the conversation. And I think that's where we start shifting our assumptions about how people look and should be perceived on stage. And I think offering the tools of, of how and why are, are something that's very important right now. So why are we wanting to change the assumptions and how are we going to do that? And why is it important with the musicals that are being written right now that why can't I go in for the leading role Mm -hmm. because I don't look like tall, thin and quote, beautifully gorgeous Mm -hmm. as the leading female needs to be? Why is it that if you're of a certain size or of your certain body type or look or skin color that you can't go in for a role that you feel like resonates with you, that you have something to bring to the table? Absolutely. And it's assumptions. And I love this exercise. Will you have everyone do the exercise that you did recently? Okay, so just to give you some context, I was in my musical theater history class and we got on the subject of type and archetype Mm -hmm. um, because we use our podcast as a springboard for a deeper, more profound conversation of tea history. So I asked them all to close their eyes. So let's ask everybody out there as well. Unless you're like driving, don't do that. Okay, don't, please don't. (laughs) Uh, Or open your eyes and just think about this. I want you to think about Right now, without censoring yourself, what is the first thing that comes to mind when you think of a leading person, either a leading male or a leading female in a musical? And now I want you to think about what is the first thing that pops in your head when you think of the comic relief or the sidekick or the best friend. And I'd be curious to know if I could all sit next to all of you out there <laughs> listening, what your, without censoring yourself, what your first initial thought was. Well, I did the same exercise with my students and I said, Right now, just say it. Don't even think it, just say it. And they said, tall, 
sexy for leading man or for woman. leading man or Absolutely. leading woman tall sexy she, charming blonde white yes uh and Thin, all these various fit, things and pretty. this is this was the interesting thing it was mostly a populace of students of diverse backgrounds mm-hmm. and they were making assumptions based on the history of what they had seen uh on stage sure or have seen on stage and I think that that was kind of disheartening because I said, okay, now I want you to, I want to have, so we started a larger conversation about sure. this and, and we started shifting perspective a little bit after, you know, teaching them a little bit about where we're trying to go. Mm-hmm. But it was very telling to, to think that we still do that. Even a younger generation that precede that, that is, that comes, is coming after us mm-hmm. is still making assumptions about what these types or archetypes are on stage. But that's because that's what we have taught. It's the same thing with you. The second question you asked was what it, the, what's the sidekick or the supporting role mm-hmm. or the comedic relief? It is somebody that is of shorter stature. who or size or... A fuller figured mm-hmm. person who is yuck, 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 yuck. I mean, it, that is a stereotypical archetype. And we cannot judge someone based upon how they look. Mm-hmm. And I think a wider conversation is understanding that's where we came from. That's how it used to be. And now changing that thought. And I had one of my one of my students say to me in class a couple of quarters past, said, I am just discovering now that just because I'm not white and just because I'm not tall and have um, a charming big, you know, stature, commanding presence, mm-hmm. why can't I play leading roles? And I said, you're absolutely right. Why There's can't no you? no reason. But he he said, I I just had never thought about it. It never occurred to me. Most students, and we're gonna we're gonna continue to fight this. You know, uh, when it comes to um, audition processes for as directors, both you and sure. I are directors. Most of the students that come in the door that are thinking of certain roles are so afraid to ask me because they're they're afraid. You know, chorus line, uh, chorus line case in sure. point, because they are per- they perceive themselves to not be the right size or the right the right image of what a chorus line musical theater performer looks like and you'd be surprised how many times i have to educate my students Mm -hmm. in in intimate environments where they can come in on a one-on-one you know conversation with me and say do you even think i have a chance and i have to tell them that you know i am somebody that's trying to change the conversation right uh and if you have the physical the emotional and the vocal stamina and the ability to maintain a role in this show you then will find why not spot. absolutely why not and we have to change that idea because and, and let's be honest five years ago i was teaching that in my class okay where do you fit in the type breakdown are mm-hmm. you the leading man are you the sidekick are you the best friend what does that even mean anymore and honestly if we're being honest i think everyone has done that in some way shape or form of course the typing have. game you know and, and you know of course i get it i get that there are so many people still in the industry an older older generation of people sure. in casting positions that are still thinking this way. But I get it. We, I, we, we need to tell them that we need to change that conversation because you are more than what you look like. That's right. You are more than the color of your skin, the size of your body, the height, the, the style of your hair color. You are more than that. And you have more to bring to a role than just how you look and how you appear. There's, your presence. And there's one more form of assumption. I want to kind of shift the tables yes, here. Yes, please. Uh, since, since we're talking about this, and I think this is something that we get really passionate about. Assumptions that are made based on the color of someone's skin. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I'm going to create an example. Mm-hmm. Um, West Side Story. Uh, I've had a student come up to me and say, uh, I auditioned for West Side Story at this regional theater company, and they identify as Latinx, mm-hmm. and, uh, but they are light-skinned. Okay. Similar to myself. Sure. 
and they came up to me and they said, uh, I said, how did it go? How did your, cause they were telling me that. And then they said, I, I, they told me that I wasn't dark enough. Oh my gosh. And so now we're, we're people in casting positions are making assumption about what Latin X skin tone is when again, I can go on a lecture with you about, about Latin X is not being, not a race. It is a cultural identity. Sure. It is absolutely. not just confined to one skin color. Mm-hmm. We come in all kinds of shades, black, brown, white. And it, it's heartbreaking because there are still people out there that are making assumptions based on the way you look and the skin type. And also in the reverse, people are getting cast in specifically Latin X roles because they that have brown are, skin. That are, because they are brown. Right. And they're or not have brown in that community. pigment to their skin. Sure. And I, I, it's disheartening because you're making, they're making an assumption based on one component of their humanity. And that's the most insignificant component as it relates to uh, Latinx culture. I just had this conversation with my, with a, a large group of my students at UCI and, and we talked about musicals like West Side Story, Man La Mancha, um, Avida, and we got on this topic because we're talking about the 50s mm-hmm. of why is it, oh, and I, I think I might have said this on this podcast, I don't remember or not, but why is it that people are going to say to me, if I say as a Caucasian female, mm-hmm. um, well, of course I'm not going to be, I don't, I can't be a dream girl. And they're like, well, duh, you can't be a dream girl. You're, you're white. But then why is it okay that I, why would it be okay for me to say, well, I could do Maria. They're like, well, that's different. Yeah. Apparently being Latinx in terms of skin tone is a gray area. Right. And, you know? and I said that <sighs> and they were like, oh, because we, again, we're trying to make positive change, mm-hmm. right? Because the assumption is if you are brown, it's not as an important, I don't know what the right word is. It's not as important that we're whitewashing brown folks, Somehow, the but Lat- it is for black. Somehow Latinx culture has stuck in the middle has been stuck in a place where it has still been acceptable has been societally acceptable to to actually portray people other than latin x and i don't understand where that is coming from it's just frustrating it's, but it's, i i really and if we break it down for a second and figure out why after we dealt with minstrel shows and we said of course we look at that and we're like oh my god we that is absurd that is uh, it's embarrassing why did we ever do that mm-hmm. That is the epitome of where we where we look and we say, okay, we can't do that anymore. But we have to go further into all types of folks. And well, we even, have to look at the Latinx folks as well. Well, and I also think it's interesting. And this is, this is actually thinking about this right now. We talk about the minstrel shows. We also yes. talk about Yellowface as being a, 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 a very dark chapter yes. that we're trying to move past. and, mm-hmm. and uh, Which still does happen. Still does happen from time to time. I mean, obviously, mm-hmm. Miss Saigon opened up a massive can of worms, so much so that there was a play written yes. uh, to speak to that. Mm-hmm. Where are the conversations about the misappropriation of Latinx culture? They are happening but they're happening behind closed doors, which is why we are having this podcast. Yes, are we angry and frustrated? Yes. Mm-hmm. But we are having this conversation. So hopefully folks that listen to this go, oh, I didn't think of it like that. I even had students that go, oh, you're you're right. I didn't, I never thought about it in that way. And it took us, you know, uh, this just didn't happen recently. It took us years to get to this mindset of we need to talk about this conversation and if those casting directors out there people in casting positions are wondering well how do i get past the fact that i obviously we cannot ask someone's ethnicity in the room that's another thing to think to say you cannot say to someone so you're brown but uh, where do you come from so what i have done is state 
uh, I'll use my chorus line uh, audition breakdown, must identify as Latinx. Yes. That's a great way. Put, and it, put it on the actors so that they can say, yes, I identify. I'm walking into the room. Must be a, an actor from the Asian American Pacific Islander community. Mm-hmm. Must be um, an actor from the African American community. Mm-hmm. When it comes to Latinx, must identify as Latinx because you're not specifying that they are black, that they are white, they are right. brown. They are Latinx of Latinx culture. Then it's on the actor to mm-hmm respectfully be able to walk in the room and say this is where I this is what I identify with this is my heritage this is where I come from and then what has to happen on the other side of the table is they have to make sure they're casting the most appropriate people because when they don't it in turn says to those folks that showed up and says well I am here you're not casting me though and also Making assumptions, because this is what this podcast, this episode is about, is making assumptions, especially when it comes to people of color, in essence, is a microaggression. Mm -hmm, Absolutely. And equals subtle, uh, subconscious, unintended points of racism. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to call it out because when you say you look this way, I can put you in the show because the audience won't know the difference. Mm -hmm. Then you're telling somebody that they are something other than they are. Right. And that's really hard pill to swallow. And just to wrap this up, I just, I'm going to take like 10 seconds to say this to anyone out there from the Latinx community that is, that identifies as Latinx, wherever, whatever part of Latin America you come from, whether it be from Cuba, whether it be from Puerto Rico, whether it be from um, El Salvador or Guatemala or Mexico, wherever you come from, remember when you go into audition for a West Side Story from La Mancha, Evita, or, um, or Zoot Suit, or any of the musicals that speak to our culture or heritage, remember, it is you should not go with the assumption that I need to be a certain skin pigment in order to be castable in these shows. I, if you identify as part of that community and you celebrate the culture, the history, the, uh, the heritage that is Latinx, then go audition for that show and stand your ground, defend yourself, understand what it means to be Latinx. And the last thing I just wanted to mention briefly, so we don't leave um, this other topic that I wanted to mention was gender identity Mm -hmm. and assuming by looking at someone what they identify as, Mm -hmm. whether it is um, uh, she, her, he, him, or they, them. Absolutely. Is not assuming that because you don't really know until you ask pronouns or until you let them tell you what pronouns either in their resume or either on a, a have them write them on the audition form is assuming just by looking at someone when they walk in the room what gender they identify with it is not one or the other anymore it is not it and is we, a beautiful mosaic yes. of, of 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 just expression of who you are and so we have to stop looking at it as you are either a or b right you are male or female mm-hmm and, and you have to identify with one or the other. And it's allowing the space to say, I see you and let me know how best you, what you, roles you feel comfortable portraying, what places you feel like you would really shine so that you feel comfortable as a human being. And what is your essence? Yeah. Who are you? Your humanity. Let that speak louder than your skin tone. Let that speak louder than your sexual, sexuality. Let that speak louder than everything else. If you speak to a certain role, if your humanity lends itself to it, if you feel that you and the character that you want to audition for are indelibly linked in some way, shape, or form, audition for that role. Absolutely. Great talk, Ash. Great talk, Tim. What's the answer to our puzzler, Tim? 
What actress played the role of Hilly in the most recent Broadway production of On the Town? The answer is... Alicia Humphreys, of course, the amazing Alicia Humphreys, 2014 revival, uh, spectacular production, and uh, big shout out to Alicia. She's just a, an amazing, amazing talent. and um, Who has been an advocate in speaking up for folks to not judge based upon look or, or the size. assumption of what you look like. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And she played Hildy, and she was phenomenal and brought the, something to that role that only she could. And now someone else can do that role that maybe doesn't look like, quote, the type mm-hmm. that it usually is played. Breaking those boundaries, Tim. Exactly. One day at a time. Have a wonderful week, everyone. Bye.